Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. Thank you, Adam, and for the leaders for inviting me. I mean, it's always nice to come uh, back to a place. And I told the first service, it was great to see a lot of familiar faces, but you know what's even more exciting is to see a lot of unfamiliar faces because that means the church is doing its job. And uh, I am proud of you and I love each and every one of you as you have spoken so much into my and Deb's life uh, while we were here, and we appreciate that so much. I could reminisce for a long time, but that's not why I'm here and not why you're here. So let's ask God, first of all, to bless our time together in prayer. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to have this opportunity to come before you and to listen to you. And with that in mind, Lord, I would ask that this not be about spectators in seats and a speaker on a stage and that we're doing two different things, but that together we would look to you as an audience of one to hear what you would have for us and from us. And so, Lord, I would ask that you would allow your messenger to disappear, but may your message and your word remain accurate and clear. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. All right, I want to start this morning with a little fun quiz. I am going to give you some product taglines, and I want you to see if you can recognize that tagline with the product that it represents. So here's what we want to do. I'm going to show you a tagline, say it to you, and then I want you to shout out what product that is uh, that it most closely represents. And the person with the most correct answers will be the person with the most correct answers, because that's all I got. So, um, so here we go. Let's see how well you do. Here's the first one. Just do it. All right, here's number two. You're in good hands. Here's number three. What's in your wallet? Capital One, good, all right. Here's number four. It's finger licking good. All right, now here the last one is a little tougher because it's been around for a long time, but here it is. Bet you can't eat just one. That, I'm very impressed. That was all the way back from the 1960s. That's how old that tagline is. But taglines or, lo- or logos or slogans, they're all help, are meant to help us remember the product that they represent, right? But according to actually to Forbes, A brand is something that is not only memorable and easy to identify, but it also connects them with people and attracts them to their product. And we understand that in advertising, don't we? I mean, companies spend billions of dollars coming up with a brand that will help people know not only who they are, but what they have to offer or what they can bring to their customers. Well, today, as we continue in this beautiful book that Paul has written to the Church of Rome, I want us to come and look at a text from this letter and see that the concept of branding is not just for products. In fact, I really believe that the verses that we study, as we study them, we'll come to understand, especially if you're a Jesus follower, that you not only have a brand, you have a brand new brand. But I also am convinced that as we unpack this principle, that you'll see this is not just something for Jesus followers alone. But even if you're here or online kind of wondering about this whole God and church thing, as we talk about this, I think that you'll agree if all of us would display and demonstrate the brand that we're going to talk about, the entire world would benefit. 
We're going to look at Romans, the 13th chapter, verses 8, 9, and 10. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, you can look that up and turn to it. If you don't have that, it's okay. We'll have it on the screen. Because I want to begin our discussion just by simply reading these verses from Romans, the 13th chapter, verses 8, 9, and 10. Here's what Paul writes. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law, the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And then verse 10, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Herein lies not just a brand, but a brand new brand that will identify us as the kind of people that believe and act in such a way that can make, I believe, our relationships, our community, our country, and even our planet a better place. So let's dig in. I want to begin our discussion by kind of homing in on this idea of debt that Paul addresses in verse 8. In fact, the very first part of verse 8, Paul writes this. He says, let no debt remain outstanding. Now, for clarity's sake, I think we need just a little disclaimer here because sometimes this first phrase in verse 8 can be said to mean that we are never to borrow or to owe any money to anyone. We're not to lend anybody anything. We're not to borrow anything. But I need you to understand that from Paul's perspective here, this verse has never been about money, nor should it be used as a command to tell people not to borrow or take out a loan. Because if you look at the whole counsel of God through Scripture, you understand that it's not contrary to God's law. In fact, if it were, if incurring indebtedness was contrary to God's will, then why would Deuteronomy, the 15th chapter, starting with verse 7, why would it have told the Jews to give to the strangers in the land to freely lend them whatever they need? And then why would Jesus have said in Matthew 5, 42, give to the one who asks you, do not turn away from the one who wants to what? Borrow from you. Now, why would other scriptures tell you that you can lend to others, that you can even have them borrow from you if it was a sin or if it was something that was a contrary to God's will? Now, I hurry to say that obviously being in perpetual and, and heavy debt is not a good thing. I mean, it can add stress to your life. And even worse, if you are a Jesus follower, is to refuse to fulfill one's obligation. Those are both unacceptable. But the point here is this is not about borrowing money. It is okay in terms of Scripture to, to have a mortgage or to have a loan where certainly a heavy loan is probably not wise and you need repayment. That's a requirement. But the whole point of verse 8 is understanding that there is a debt that each and every one of us has that we must continue to pay. In fact, that idea brings us to the core or ground floor principle of what Paul is trying to get across to us. Here's our brand. Our brand is love. You see, while he is saying that there is no debt that remains outstanding, Paul gives us this remarkable exception. He's basically saying, look, you can pay everything off, but you're still going to have a debt because the last of verse 8 says this. It says, except 
You don't have any debt except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves each other fulfills the law, has fulfilled the law. He's saying, listen, I'm not talking about financial debt here because even if you're totally debt-free, you know, you don't have any mortgage, you don't have any credit card debt, you owe no taxes, even if you have given your respect to others, there's still one unpaid debt, and that is the unpaid universal debt of love. He's saying here in verse 8, that the duty to love one another is inexhaustible. In fact, the love, Paul says here, has fulfilled the law. Now, it's important to understand and note that the law he's talking about in this verse is the Old Testament law, the law of Moses. In fact, the word he uses here for fulfilled, and we're going to talk about this more in a couple of moments, but this word here means to satisfy or to verify. So he's saying love satisfies the Mosaic or Old Testament law. And it was very important that he would touch on that because most of the people in the first century that first read this letter were Jews, or at least they had become very well acquainted with the story of God's relationship with the Israelites through the law. And just to make it clear that he's talking about the Old Testament law, Paul specifically mentions four of what we might call the top 10 laws, you know, our 10 commandments. And they're all having to do with how we treat one another. He says, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit murder. You shall not steal and you shall not covet. You see, when you love, Paul is saying you satisfy the Old Testament law because love is what motivates you not to cheat on your spouse or to resort to violence, or to take something of someone else's, or even to want someone's stuff. And then there's another note here that I think is important. And that is, he says, this continuing debt is to love one another. Now, ordinarily, in Paul's writings, when he refers to one another, he's referring to relationships with Jesus followers in the Christian community. But in this context, this is not the case. For this expression in this context refers to all people, and we know that because he writes this. It's all summed up in this one command, love your what? Your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbor, according to Jesus, if you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan, is anyone who is in need. A neighbor in Scripture is everyone, and therefore the sweep of this obligation is intended to be universal. I think it's also important to note what kind of love Paul is referring to here. To here. He, he's talking about a Greek word that he uses, agape. Agape is the word that means that this is a love of the will. So Paul's not talking about some warm, fuzzy feeling here or talking about kind of the shallow way we sometimes talk about how we love things. You know, I just love it. No, he, he's not talking about feeling something. He's talking about being someone. Paul has turned love, as Jonathan talked about just a couple of weeks ago, he's turned love into a verb. This word is a word of action. In fact, I believe that it's at this point in this action that Paul elevates us from the core or ground floor principle of having a brand of love, simply satisfying the Old Testament to something much higher, something much better. He lifts us to a brand new brand, in fact, a new command. I want you to, once again, look at verse 10. It says, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, 
Didn't he just say, love fulfills the law? I mean, didn't he say that in verse 8 and alluded to in verse 9? I mean, why is he saying it all over again? I mean, is the old man just kind of senile or senile, or is he just kind of forgotten this? I don't think so. Because there is an interesting shade of difference between the word fulfilled in verse 8 and fulfillment in verse 10. And yes, I know fulfillment has more letters than fulfilled, but it's deeper than that. Remember that the word in verse 8 is the word that means to satisfy. But the word here means to complete or completely fill up. Think of it this way. You're hungry. You're sitting at a table and there's food spread out out for you. And somebody says, dive in. Well, at the end of that, you probably don't say, well, you know, I was satisfied. No, if you were hungry and it was good food, you probably went, man, I am so full. I can't eat another bite. I am completely filled up. And that's the difference between these words. And he has that difference because I think now he is referring to a very different and greater law than the Old Testament law. Now, what kind of law could he be talking about? Well, it's a law that he actually talks about in a number of his letters. Let me give you two examples. For example, in the book of Galatians, in Galatians 6, he writes this, bear one another's burdens. And if we bear one another's burdens, do you know what that does? He says that that fulfills the law of Christ. It fulfills the law of Christ. Now, that really says that there's another law besides just an Old Testament law. It's a law that fulfills the law of Christ. In fact, just a couple of chapters before this, Paul writes in Romans 10.4, Christ is the culmination, or he is the end or the finish of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. So I agree with those scholars that I've read that propose that the law Paul is speaking about now in verse 10 is not just a repetition of the old, repetition of the Old Testament law. But this is a law which allows us to do the opposite of harm. It's a law that helps us bear one another's burdens, and it finds total and complete fulfillment in the law of Christ, which has got to beg the question, right? What is the law of Christ? What is that law? Well, I believe that you find it in John 13, 34. This is something that is given on the very last night of Jesus' life before he's crucified. He's got his closest followers with him, and he gives them this law. Now, throughout the three years that he's been with them, he's talked about the Old Testament law, the, the big two when it comes to love, love God and love others, that they know from that old law, but now he trumps those. And here is what he told them. He says, a new command I give to you. A new command. A brand new command. In fact, the word here that's used for new is the word kainos. It means fresh. Never found like this before. We'd say, well, this is brand spanking new. <laughs> See, Jesus isn't in just adding a command. He's not saying, okay, I know there's 10 commandments. This is number 11. Or there's 613 commands that you've got to go with with the Torah and the Talmud, and this is 640. He's not adding a command. He's not even rephrasing a command. He is giving a brand new, a brand, brand new command. It is the law of Christ. And then what he says next absolutely changed the world. And I am thinking if we would move what comes next to the top of our agendas, it just might change the world again. 
Because what came next actually made his message irresistible. It made him irresistible. In fact, it trumps the golden rule. Do you remember the golden rule? That is to treat others the way you want to be treated or to love others the way you want others to love you. Well, Jesus is saying, you know what? This is better than that. In fact, it's what one author calls the platinum rule. And here it is. He says, a new command I give you, as I have loved you, as I have loved you, you must love one another. Not love, other, love others as they have loved you. Not even love others the way you want them to love you. You love others the way Jesus has already loved you. Now, how has he loved you? Well, when I began meditating on that, four words sprang to my mind when I think about his love for me. First of all, Jesus loves me determinedly. You know, Jesus could have remained in heaven, right? And just barked out orders. <laughs> Said, hey, hey, you need to love each other better than that. But he didn't do that. He took the initiative and he determined the creator of the universe to come in the dark and dirty and to live with his creation, to demonstrate his love. In fact, that's why we read this in Hebrews 10, starting with verse five. It says, therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. I have come to do your will, my God. He was determined to love me no matter what. Secondly, Jesus loves me sacrificially. He didn't just determine to love me. He sacrificed everything to demonstrate his love for me. That's why Philippians 2, starting with verse 6, says this. Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Instead of insisting upon his own rights, he gave up his rights so that I could be right with God. I think that's why 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become right, the righteousness of God. And oh, how much better would this world be if we stopped just wagging our fingers at people and used our hands instead to lift them up, even if it meant less convenience to us, even if it meant more sacrificial love from us. Here's number three. Jesus loves me unconditionally. Listen, Jesus didn't start loving me when I began to love him. He didn't begin loving me when I started following him. He has always loved me, and he has always loved you. Many in this room will know John 3.16. Well, how about 1 John 3.16? He says this, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That means if we're going to love unconditionally, then no matter the person's views, no matter the person's background, no matter the person's economic standing, no matter the color of their skin, no matter even their political views, our love like Jesus is to be unconditional. We want what's best for the other person. As our text says, love does no harm. And then lastly, Jesus loves me gracefully. No matter how I've acted, no matter what I've done, no matter how much sin, how much regret, how much shame, he is always ready to give me grace instead of what I deserve. Aren't you glad that's true? 
John 1.14 describes Jesus as full of grace and truth. 2 Timothy 1.9 says he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus. So here's the law of Christ. Here's how we're to love each other, determinedly, sacrificially, unconditionally, gracefully. You see, this love is not anchored in a tradition or in a set of rules. It's anchored in a person. And think just for a second, what would it have been like to be with that person in the very moment that he gave this new law or command? You see, when we read, as I have loved you, we think of the cross, but they didn't. Not these guys that first hear, heard this law, this new command, because he hadn't gone to the cross yet. I think they probably thought over the previous three years they had spent with Jesus, and maybe they thought about a particular moment when Jesus had loved them particularly well. Maybe Matthew thought about the time he moved from being despised by his peers and an embarrassment to his family, but Jesus called him to follow him anyway, and now maybe Matthew says, I get it, I'm supposed to extend the same kind of grace to everyone I meet because as I have loved you. Maybe Nathaniel was thinking of the time that he had dissed Jesus' hometown, his family, and his closest friends when he said that stupid thing. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Oops, Jesus came out of Nazareth. But Jesus invited him anyway. And I think Nathaniel can say, now, you know what? I'm to extend that same kind of forgiveness to everyone I meet because as I have loved you. And maybe Peter, maybe Peter's thinking of the time that he told the Son of God what he could not do. <laughs> yeah, Peter one day said to Jesus, you can't go to Jerusalem, I forbid it. <laughs> and yet Jesus lifts him up from his arrogance and uses him anyway. And now Peter's maybe thinking, oh, I've got to extend the same kind of patience to everyone I meet because as I have loved you. And I think Jesus could have said that night, gents, if you think you've seen me love, you just hang on to your yarmulkes, your, your hats, because you haven't seen anything yet. And we know exactly what he did next. Listen, I believe that this new command, this new law is the hinge pin between the covenants. The rules and regulations that Paul has alluded to in verses eight and nine were text that was engraved on stone tablets. But the law of Christ that I believe he is now alluding to in verse 10 is to be engraved on our hearts. And this is where following Jesus Christ I think is different than any religion in the world because Jesus has never told us just to believe something. He's told us to do something, to love others just as he has already loved us. Now, that takes and requires belief, but it's a doing. What we're supposed to do is love others in the way he has already loved us, but let's face it, how do we actually do that? I mean, isn't there quite a gap between Jesus' perfect love for us and our imperfect love for others? So I want us to close this morning with two questions that I think we can ask before we act, before we spout off, before we get too hard even on ourselves because of this gap. So here's two branding questions that I think will help us. Here's the first one. Ask yourself, what does Jesus' love reveal about me? You see, from a world's perspective, love has got everything often to do with being earned. You know, I'm loved because. Let me count the ways that I love you. 
But in God's economy and his perspective, we are not loved because we earn it. We are loved simply because he wants to give it. Remember, Jesus said, love one another as I have already loved you. And listen, no matter what you're going through, no matter what others might think of you, you are accepted. You are valuable. You are loved so much that Jesus would rather die than live without you. So the next time you're feeling angry or frustrated or you're dealing with an injustice from someone or or something, ask this question. What does Jesus' love reveal about me? And it might just help reveal a more loving side of you, which brings us to the second question that's got to be asked in tandem. And that is, what does Jesus' love require of me? What would happen if I would go into this circumstance or as I meet with this resistance, or maybe even worse, this hostility, or as I go into this situation to try to repair this relationship, whatever it is, what would happen if I took a step back, took just a moment and asked this question, what does Jesus's love require of me right now? You see, if you've asked the first question, then you know already how much he loves you. And now you can ask this question and reciprocate that love for others, just as he is loved you. Now, I know, I know. We'll never all the time love exactly like Jesus, for his is a pure and perfect love. But the question is, how do we fill in the gap between how he loves us and how we're to love others, how he's already treated us and how we're to treat others? The enemy wants us to fill in that gap between Jesus's ideal treatment and our less than perfect actions with negativity and accusations. You know, I can't treat them well. I mean, You don't know what they've done to me. They hurt me. They cheated on me. They shamed me. And maybe that's true. But Jesus is asking us to fill in that gap with his kind of love, determined and sacrificial and unconditional and graceful. Jesus is telling us, listen, the litmus test for loving others is not being right. It's not being best. It's not being boss. It's loving others like he's already loved us. In fact, that's why the verse following this new law, this new command that Jesus gave, he said this in John 13, 35, by this, by this, by loving everybody the way that I have already loved you with this brand new brand of love, then everyone will know that you are my disciples, my followers. You see, this isn't just a nice to be have or be kind and get along thing. This is mission critical for the church. The more we love people this way, the more noticeable and the more notable we become as followers of Jesus Christ. And listen, if you're a Jesus follower, you don't have the right or the opportunity not to try and love this way. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, I'll be candid. You can live any old way you want. Jesus has no authority over you. But would you consider this? Think what it must be like or what the world would be like if all of us could do this, love this way. What would the world look like to live with this fueled and informed forever relevant command, this elegant law that is so simple and so life-changing, his love revealing in you a value you have no other way and then compelling us to ask in every situation, what does your love now require of me to do right this moment? If we would do that, 
I believe with all my heart that your life will be better, you will be better at life, and this world will be better too. So how about it? Let's keep paying this debt of love and love others even as he has already loved us. Heavenly Father, thank you for helping us to understand that love is the brand, but the brand new brand is to love others the way you have already loved us so determinedly, so sacrificially, so unconditionally, so gracefully. Father, help us to fill in that gap between your perfect love and our imperfect love, but help us to continue to work at it because we know that's when we become noticeable and notable as your followers. And Father, my prayer right now is for that one too, that maybe in this room or watching online, just not sure about this whole God and church thing, that they would at least be intrigued and maybe ask the questions that they need to ask in order possibly to see more of who you are and the good that you want for each and every one of us. So Father, help us, even in this moment, to be drawn closer to you and then to love others the way you've already loved us. And I pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at northridge.online.